From VinePair's New York City headquarters, I'm Joanna Sherino. And in Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal. And this is the VinePair Podcast, Monday edition. We are without Adam yet again. Ugh. It's depressing. <sighs> I'm trying it's to tough. channel his energy, except I had Ooh. way too much coffee this morning, and so I'm and I can't have any more. Oh, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's rough. I feel for you. That's um, it's bad to overdo it early and not be able to kind of you know maintain your pace throughout the day. But yeah. that happens. We all yeah. we all been there. We'll get through it. It's okay. Okay. So what have you been drinking lately, then? Well. Adam not being here means this is a safe space for me to continue to talk about the non-alcoholic <laughs> things we're, I've been drinking because this will be the last time y'all are subjected to this. It will be February soon. Um, <laughs> but um, this is one that actually you guys, I think, are both fans of that I got to, finally got the chance to try, uh, which are some of the, um, I guess we'd call them non-alcoholic Amaro sodas from uh, Casa Amaro Club. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. They so they good? They are good. They I didn't – so I'll be honest. They sent them to me, and for one – uh, always appreciated. Thank folks. Always nice to get samples. Um, I didn't really know what to expect because you guys have talked about them a little bit. But one of the things in this category that I don't really know when you look at some of these NA products is like kind of where are they going to fall on the – like actually to reference sort of where we were talking on Friday about like hop water versus NA beer. Like yeah. are they going to be more hop water or more NA beer in terms of like full flavor calorie count, etc. And so I didn't really know what to expect. Turns out, those of you who've had them before know, Cosmar Club, you know, closer to hop water than any beer. Yeah. Um, but unlike hop water, <laughs> uh, I think deliver a, a lot of the flavor that you're looking for in the alcoholic version of these sort of spritzes or sodas without, you know, obviously any alcohol and still being pretty light. I think of all the ones that I tried, I think probably the hmm, the Fora was probably my favorite, which is the sort of like Aperol spritzy one, I guess yeah. is the best way to put it. Um, although the Sera, uh, also a, a strong contender for my favorites. The more citrusy ones were fine, but less interesting to me in part because, you know, I think there are other sort of sparkling products out there that get similar flavor results, but there's not as much doing kind of interesting things with bitter the bitter flavor profile that you get out of the the two that I mentioned. So I don't know. That was that's what I've been drinking. Yeah, I, I think when they first came out, they were calling them leisure sodas, which yeah, I thought it's was still in the packaging. It's a, it says that as well. Okay, yeah, they wow, they've expanded so much. They have a bunch now, but um, yeah, I think I, I hadn't considered these kind of similar to hot water. Um, obviously, different flavor profiles. So I I think they're so great. No, I I enjoyed them. Like I said, I and I. Uh, I look forward to uh, finishing up the last few before January ends. Yeah. <laughs> and then I forget about them until next January. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'll no. probably I'll probably crack one or two over the over the preceding or the uh, you know the upcoming months, I'm sure. Yeah. Um anything else? No, no, no. That's that's about it for me. It's it, we're we're in like the the last push for me. So it's a lot of a lot of sparkling things in cans that I can open that feel uh, exciting but are mostly just uh, seltzer. Yeah. It's been a somewhat low-key drinking week for me, too, uh, but something exciting. Uh, we had our first Vine Pair After Hours event oh, at the yeah. office this past week, and we were lucky enough to have Dale DeGroff and his son, Leo DeGroff, um, making drinks for us with their... I think it's actually just Dale's. I'm not sure if Leo's part of it, but uh, his new bitter aperitivo, DeGroff bitter aperitivo. So had a few old pals 
and a Oaxacan mm. old fashioned, a Oaxacan Negroni actually, um, okay. and that was really great, very exciting. Um, we're planning to do some more of these after hours um, events and get some more folks in and uh, check out some cool stuff. Yeah, that sounds like a lot of fun. I, I, uh, I hope to attend one next time I'm in New York. Yes, that would be great. So yeah, that that was kind of the highlight of uh, of the week for me um, with drinking. But speaking of dry January, yeah, and one not last drinking, one, folks. Not drinking. Bear with us on this. What I wanted to talk about today was a recent article that came out in Washington Post about um, this idea of "quote unquote" dry tripping and um, more people choosing sober travel, and kind of how this industry has, um, like been erected around that idea. And, you know, Zach, I want to talk to you about this as somebody obviously who partakes in dry January, but kind of in the context of more of people exploring being sober curious or exploring sobriety or abstention, um, mindful drinking, etc. You know, what you thought of this idea of and 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 the the term was coined by Expedia, I guess, that they said in their annual travel trend report that more than 40% of travelers are likely to book a detox trip in the next year, coining the term dry tripping to describe the fashion. What are your thoughts on quote unquote dry tripping? So for my first thought was when I read the phrase dry tripping, I thought it was like getting really high at Burning Man. <laughs> um, I was like, okay, I guess I get what they're going for with this. I don't know that I would have come up with a better phrase, but it is a little bit Feels a little weird. Um, anyhow, to, to the point at hand, I think dry tripping is an incredible testament to capitalism. Oh, my God. Me too. Okay. <laughs> because to me, no offense to the to the writer or to the people in here, but to me, this is a little like a – there's like a breathiness to this, which is like I don't quite get where it's like – no shit, airlines would much rather charge someone who's not drinking alcohol the same amount of money for an NA beverage than they do f- than giving them a free can of soda. Or a hotel would rather your mini bar item that you pay an ungodly amount of money for, like they don't care if it has alcohol in it or not. They'd probably rather it doesn't have alcohol in it because then you're less likely to like cause a scene than if it does. Like to me, none of the places where this is being pointed out as being an option are are emblematic of anything other than that these products exist people will pay similar if to the price they will pay for alcoholic versions of these drinks and of course businesses are going to take notice of that and be like well of course we should stock an na beer because again if that passenger who would not want to drink a beer or whatever on a flight will instead pay us six dollars for an athletic brewing instead of as i said getting you know, a free can of soda or whatever, or drinking water. Well, no shit. We should obviously offer that. And to me, yeah. this is not like, this is a just, this to me is one of those things where it feels like working too hard to find a trend or something when in fact it's just capitalism. Yeah. I hate this. I hate this so much. And that's why I wanted to talk about it because what is sober travel? Who, who's, why is that? different from travel and i i just i think that as you mentioned this is just like this is invented totally invented yeah to create opportunities to make money around it 
Like plenty yeah. of people decide to travel and not drink <laughs> or drink I a little or drink a lot. Like tra- what? Yeah, I don't yeah. I don't drink when I travel like and I think it's just like it to me just signals that this whole idea of like dryness and dry January and sober October and whatever have you is just like gone a little too far. Yeah. And I think there's a way. So I think two things. I think one is that there's, like I said, the capitalism side of this, where from the brand perspective, from these various entities perspectives, it makes sense to try and convert some segment of your uh, your you know your your business that is not spending money on on beverage or spending much money on beverage you know if you're if you're a restaurant and you can, and someone wants you know someone you can get someone to go from drinking water or iced tea or something into drinking a expensive NA drink well no shit you should do that again it's just like that's not no one no one thinks that's uh, revelatory but I think the other piece of this is the way in which I think being dry or being sober or whatever publicly and sort of ostentatiously is a part of the appeal to the drinker side of it. And I think that there is an element of, like we've talked about before on the pod, I don't think the number, the percentage of people who don't drink is meaningfully different now than it has ever been in any amount of time that we've been like actively tracking this kind of data. But what's different is, is that sobriety now, whether it's permanent or temporary is seen as something that people a certain segment of people at least want to it's their brand publicize vocalize yep yeah and look again i want to be clear here i think there is real societal benefit to creating ways for people who have legitimate addiction problems with alcohol or who just don't want to drink to have more and better ways to enjoy beverage that are agreeable with their lifestyle choices or or medical needs or whatever yeah that's all well and good and I don't even really begrudge people like that from being out and open with their decisions, right? Whether they are someone who is an addict or not, saying like, I don't drink. Here's why I don't drink. Here's what I do instead. This, And because I do believe that for some people who need that help, they need that reinforcement to make that a similar choice in their own life, seeing people do that publicly is helpful, I believe. Yeah, I think removing the, the stigma around those things and making it better for people more permissible for people to talk about these things is is generally a very good thing yes but i don't think the places where that's most needed are like on an airplane right who is feeling pressured to drink on an airplane i I get that there is alcohol available but like with the exception of maybe like you fly internationally and they come around and like offer you a glass of wine or you're in you know first class and they give you champagne when you get on the plane you lucky bastards yeah that's most people's flight experience is like not such that they're like, oh, man, I'm just constantly being having to say no to free drinks. Like drinks at the airport are expensive. Drinks on the plane are, you know, whatever priced, but they're limited selection, often not great, although getting better. And in all, I think these are just not the situations where I think these kind of products are most needed. I think where you see them being of value and, and helpful in people's lives is in the settings where people do feel pressured to drink at breweries, at wineries, in bar settings where people are going with friends and feel everyone around them is drinking and they feel like they have to have something in their hand. Those kinds of places, you know, parties, things like that, where we're being the person not drinking can feel like there's a stigma attached to it. And to me to kind of, I don't know, just sort of try and be like, well, look at us. We also embrace non-drinkers like no shit airlines. Like you embrace anyone who can pay. You don't care. Yeah. It, to me, this is just no different than it's like saying, 
I probably should. This piece is probably in the Washington Post archives or someone's archives. So I'm going to, someone's going to dig this up and be like, look, they actually wrote this. But to me, this would be like writing about 10 years ago, how like incredible it was that airlines were offering gluten-free options. Like, well, no shit. Some people want gluten-free options and a lot of people take planes, but it's not like a trend. I mean, it's a trend, but it's a, it's a big societal trend. It has nothing to do with that specific venue. Yeah. I don't know if you remember, but in our 2024 predictions talk, I I said that more places would have more robust zero proof options on their menus. Mm-hmm. And I think You're that right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean I think that that's that is part of this. I think my issue with it though is this idea that it has to like you said it's like that it's a trend and that we're labeling it as something that's different from just like people's different drinking habits. And the article also mentions that this is, you know, this is the growing booze-free movement, and it's extended to tourism as part of a larger trend toward wellness. And I think that's another that's another issue for me too, because I think if you really cared about wellness, you would just drink water. You know, like you'd just yeah. be so damn hydrated. You have your Stanley mug, and uh. you know, you just be so hydrated. You have cucumbers in there and some lemon you drink your hot lemon water in the morning but like i think this idea that you need a not that you need specific like non-alcoholic drinks for you because of wellness is just like it's bullshit yeah and as mentioned like these places all have have always had lots of non-alcoholic drink options because guess what like kids go on airplanes and people who are who for religious reasons don't drink go on airplanes and and obviously they mention in, in here that there's you know there are carriers based out of countries that ban alcohol that have no alcohol on them at all like this the, to me the thing that bugs me is i don't have any problem with any of these airlines or whomever stocking these products no. and even pointing out that they do have them but to me to to turn this into like the idea that people are like the the the, the travel itself is dry or something like that, that like there are millions upon millions of people who get on an airplane every year who don't drink any alcohol and yeah. maybe you know, they don't drink alcohol ever, or they certainly don't drink while they're traveling, and not, and they don't think of themselves as dry tripping. They're just getting on an airplane and living their life. Oh. And to turn – to kind of connect this into some sort of like th- – this like – again, Movement. like – Well, and, and to portray – and again, this is maybe taking too many shots at this one piece. Yeah. But I think it's, it's emblematic of a way that this tends to be covered, especially by like non-drinks publications, candidly, is like looking at these airlines doing this through – the lens of anything other than just rank capitalism. Like (laughs) they, the only reason any of them are doing this is because they think they can sell this product to their guests, you know, uh, passengers, whomever. Right. Like, and that's like, it drove me crazy. Sorry. Just more grievance. When like you started seeing airlines in particular, like talking about, Oh, like we now source, like, I don't think Delta has been too obnoxious about it. But like, cool that Delta carries tip top an Atlanta company, but like to portray that as something other than like, we recognize an opportunity to serve something to our guests that they will pay for us. They'll pay us for that. We maybe get a better margin on, or at least as a, a amenity that people have said they want, like that's how capitalism works. It's not no, it's not like a noble gesture. Delta is not like for, you know, taking all of that profit and giving it to tip top or to charity there. It's a money-making venture for this, them in the same way that serving you food or charging you for Wi-Fi is a money-making venture. Like, and so it's maybe interesting to note that NA products are in demand enough to make these various 
entities feel like it's important for them to stock something like that, but they are yes. not doing it for any other reason than they think they can sell it. And we shouldn't expect them to <laughs> either. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, this is not virtuous. No. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's part of the problem, which is that yeah. it's, it's like making it out to be some, like some, some sort of virtuous thing that's happening here when it's, yes, as you put, it's just like, it's, it's the, com- it's total commodification, right? It's capitalism. Yeah. And actually down at the bottom of the piece, it mentions basically like one of these places of Four Seasons in Costa Rica being like the, someone, the the director of F&B for that property is like, we expanded our NA cocktail offerings because people asked for them. And like, yep. okay, great. Yeah. That, that's that's as you should do. But it's not like, you, you know, again, it just it drives me nuts when in so many of these cases, it's, it is portrayed as something that's being done, you know, altruistically as opposed to yeah. very much with the bottom line in mind. Mm-hmm. Anyway, not to make this a uh, total gripe fest. Well, it's uh, shocking we did it without <laughs> Adam here. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's usually, usually he brings the grievances, but you and I, I feel like we, we you know, he'll let us know what he thinks, but uh, I feel like we, we carried the, the sort of, you know, discontent uh, <laughs> level to a sufficiently high place for, yes. for you know, not being without our, our leader here. Yeah. Well, let us know what you think about uh, the NA movement, about dry tripping. Do you dry trip? Do you damp do you, trip? Do you sober travel? Um, uh, podcast at vinepair.com. And uh, Zach, I'll see you here Friday with, with Adam. I mean it when I say this. Sounds great. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast, the flagship podcast of the Vine Pair Podcast Network. If you love listening to this show, or even if you don't, but I really hope that you do, as much as we really do love making it, then please drop us a review or a rating wherever it is that you get your podcast, whether that be iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, anywhere. If you are listening to this on a device right now through an app, however you got this audio, please drop a review. It really helps everyone else discover the show. And now for some totally awesome credits. So... The Vine Pair Podcast is recorded in our New York City headquarters and in Seattle, Washington, in Zach Chabal's basement. It is recorded by Zach, mastered, and produced by Zach. He loves all the credit. Keep giving it to him. Drop his name in the reviews. He's going to love hearing how much you love him. It is also recorded in New York City by our tastings director, Keith Beavers, who is the managing director of the entire Vine Pair Podcast Network. I'd also love to give a shout out to our editor-in-chief, Joanna Sherino, who joins us on every single podcast as our third and most important host. Thank you as well to the entire VinePair staff and everyone who's been involved in making VinePair as special as it's become. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.